Thanks, Mana. Um, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers amongst us. Um, my name's Rowan, uh, one of the pastors here. It is great to be able to celebrate Father's Day together, to come to church and be listening to our Heavenly Father, who is our ultimate dad. If you want a model for a good dad, uh, there is one. So why don't we pray to him now as we hear what he has said uh, through his servant Paul to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can call you our dad because of Jesus. Thanks for the joy that it is to hear from your word and to let it change the way we think about life. Let it challenge us and comfort us. We pray this morning as we think through what you have to say to us, as we see this race that Paul puts before us, you can help us to come away again encouraged, challenged, built up and ready to keep serving you. We pray that we'd see the importance of what Jesus has done even more clearly as we look at your word this morning. Amen. Why do you do what you do? I don't know if you think through that question very often. Why do you prioritize your life the way you prioritize it? Why do you choose the things you choose uh, to put first and put other things kind of on the back burner? Or why do things jump forward and get your attention? How do we organize our lives? Paul's been explaining uh, through the last couple of chapters that we need to live as people who've been captured by Jesus and wanting to do whatever it takes, we saw last week, uh, to do whatever it takes to see people understand who Jesus is and what he's done. It's this kind of idea that molds and shapes Paul's life. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 9, 22. We saw it last week. Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. That's what he's doing. We talked about it last week, to challenge what rights we can give up so others might see who Jesus is and what he's done. This week we're going to see another aspect of that. But I want to ask you, how have you gone in thinking through your rights? How have you gone at hearing God's word if you've been here or in our small groups, thinking through what freedoms we can give up? How have you gone at that? I want to encourage you to think through that and to keep sharing that with one another. There's that website. It's on the bottom of the outline. You'll see some notes there, that uh, aucklandev.co.nz forward slash W-I-T, whatever it takes. We're going to be sharing with one another the encouragement of how we can be putting Jesus first. So I, I want to really encourage you to, to jump online and share that so we can encourage each other to keep putting Jesus first. They'll be published anonymously, uh, so don't worry about that. But it'll be a great way to encourage one another. But in this section, Paul shows us it's not just others' lives that are at stake in the race of life. There's more going on. Uh, His priorities, his commitments, his purpose in life are all shaped around the concept of winning. Now, we all love winning, right? I've not come across anyone that's like, I'm really looking forward to lose today. No one does that. Who gets up and runs a race to go, yes, I'm going to come last and this is what I'm all about. Like you do it as a concession because you can't win. Because if you could win, you would, right? Um, we, we, we love winning. Um, the only time I can think of someone who loves losing is when they're playing 500 and they do a hand of open misere. But then you, you lose by, you win by losing. Like you're still trying to win. Here, Paul has got two concepts, two controlling principles in this section to help us see that we need to live in whatever way it takes so that others might come to know Jesus. You've got two controlling principles. If you want to live life to the full, if you want to think about what the Christian life is about, and it's this. Number one, run the race to win. And number two, don't be disqualified. Run the race to win and don't be disqualified. It's a kind of structure we'll follow for the rest of this talk. Uh, So have a look at chapter 9, verse 24. 
Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, as Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian Christians, he assumed they knew about the games. When we talk about the games, we know we're talking about the Olympic Games. They were just on TV. Paul didn't have a TV, but the whole time people knew about the Olympic Games. Uh, They've been run every four years from 776 BC through to AD 393, up until when Emperor Theodosius stopped it. They've been running consistently every four years for 1,169 years. People knew about these games. They were going on and Paul translates these desires of people to win the Olympic goal, to win, to the purpose of life. He uses the known to help us understand how we are to live. So every time we see the Olympics or someone talk about the Olympics, we should go, that's right, God has allowed this to continue for so long, so He might remind us what we're about in life. And that's what Paul's doing for us. The purpose of life for the Christian and for anyone really is to win. It's to win at life. What does that look like, though? You hear so many people say, yeah, you know, you want to win at life. How do we know what winning is? How do we know the rules of the game? How do we know what to do? You know, the people around us, kind of for the guys, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's often what people say. You know, I want to get that new car. I want to get that new thing. Uh, we, We love that. And winning is success in life. I don't know what it is for women. I'm not a woman. Uh... Thankfully for everyone. But anyway, I don't know which way you want to take that. I'm just going to stop speaking on that. Um, but I don't know what it is. He, she who dies with the most what? Uh, you can fill that in. Paul says to win in life is to receive the prize. And he compares it with the Olympic wreath or crown. That's that word crown that's used throughout it. Look at verse 25. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away but we a crown that will never fade away. What's at stake in the race of life that Paul is talking about isn't some momentary glory where you stand on a podium and your national anthem plays and your flag is raised behind you and you get a wreath or a crown placed on your shoulders. It's not the glory of making a world record or an Olympic record only to have it beaten at the next Olympics for someone who's bigger and stronger and faster and better than we are. It's not fleeting like the wreath that they would have worn at that point. It would have just disappeared. They didn't have gold medals. Gold kind of stands a bit longer. They just had these wreaths. And you know, a month, two months, I don't know, later, they've just disappeared. Paul says, each of us are running a race where the prize is far more valuable than Olympic gold or the glory that comes from standing on a podium with your national anthem playing behind you. What's at stake in the race of life is a crown that never fades away, is a glory that never disappears. It's life forever. Now, throughout my life, I played lots of sport. I got lots of trophies, not because I was ever the best. Usually it was kind of best and fairest or something like that. But, you know, at home, uh, my parents' place, we had this kind of cabinet. It was like a trophy cabinet. I don't know if any other people have a trophy cabinet in their house or is it just weird? Okay, it's just weird. Um, there you go. But so my parents kind of had this kind of thing where they put, they had old cars and they had awards for their cars and all that sort of stuff. And in this trophy cabinet would be all of my trophies. Uh, and you know, there was, there was a few of them, maybe 10 or something, not a huge amount. I was no athlete. Uh, but when I moved out of home, uh, I put most of them in a box. Uh, when we moved to New Zealand, I don't even know where that box is. We didn't bring it. And I kind of look back on all those achievements. There's only one trophy that I brought with me. 
And it's so small, it fits in my back pocket. Oh, but now it won't come out. There it is. Look at that. Right here is the trophy for Kermond Public School Juvenile Boy Champion. Now, I kept this partially because it was small and it, and it fit in a box. But in my primary school in 1988, I was seven, seven-year-old. I was the juvenile boy champion. Now, I'll, I can remember the moment that they got up on the stage and they were announcing the guys who are always athletic. You know, it's always the way they, they win this stuff. And there's a guy in our year that was so fast. He, his parents owned a deer farm and he used to say he would race the deer. I'm like, how can you compete with that? Right? I don't have deer. We have a cow. Like, they're not very fast. Anyway, and this guy was really quick. He was always able to do stuff, and he'd always take these things. And I remember the year I'm sitting there, and they announced Juvenile Ball Champion, and we all thought it would be this guy, Daniel Ambrose, right? And they said Rowan Hillston. I'm like, what? Why is that? And apparently, when they chatted later, I'd, I'd worked really hard to work on some stuff, and they didn't want to give it to the same old person. So I kind of remember this as the, yeah, I beat Daniel Ambrose year, right? Juvenile Boy Champion. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? I I bet you no one in my year at school remembers that in 1988, I was juvenile ball champion. Like, it's just, it's it's great. And it's a good reminder of working hard. That's kind of why I kept it. But it it just fades away. It's plastic, so it'll probably never biodegrade. But it it doesn't kind of stay in in the forefront of our minds. Well, there's a far more important race going on, says Paul a far more important prize to seek. It's a prize that will not perish or spoil or fade. He's talking about life that lasts forever. He says in a similar way in Philippians 3, he says this, verse um, 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This prize is is a heavenly prize. It's, It's life that lasts forever. It's life in relationship with your Creator, with no more mourning or crying or pain, life as it should be. Life that does not end. Death sucks. Life fades away. And what is on offer here is life that lasts forever. So Paul says, in that race of life, run. Run to get that prize. Run to seek the life that God has offered us in Jesus. Now, when you chat to people about how we receive that, how do we get that prize? Lots of people think that Christianity is about doing good, that we need to run and and, and maybe you're saying, yeah, I'm trying to be the best person I can be. I'm running the race, doing everything I can to be the best version of me I can be. I've done good things. And I hope that when I get to that final gate of heaven or whatever happens at the end, that I'll cross it to go, yes, I've done a good life. But the Bible keeps saying no to that. See, I haven't been perfect. We stand back and go, I've done good things, but I haven't been perfect. I stand back and go, look at all those other people who have done far worse things than me, but (laughs) we will never win on our own merits. You won't get the juvenile boy champion trophy for just trying hard. (laughs) You won't get into heaven for going, look, I've done a good thing. I've tried my hardest. Paul says in many places throughout Scripture that it's only the work of Jesus in our place that allows us to win the prize. See, Jesus, He loved God with all His heart, all His soul, all His strength and all His mind. And He loved His neighbour as Himself. He, he lived in God's world perfectly. He is the perfect athlete, the perfect human. He trusted God and served God as we should and as we haven't. 
He did what we are supposed to do, but none of us have loved God that way. None of us have loved others like we should have. We haven't run the race of life in a way that's acceptable. None of us should get the crown. Jesus is the only human being who ever ran the race of life who deserved a crown. There's only one, and it's only him. And he ran that race perfectly. And when he got to the end of his life, what did he get? Well, he got a crown all right. That was a crown of thorns that was placed on his head as he was crucified in our place. For running a perfect life, he got what we deserve, death, judgment, separation from God, so that we could get the crown he deserved. We could be part of what he has done. See, running the Christian life, it isn't earning the prize. It's holding on to the prize Jesus has given us, to what he has already done for us. It's accepting what he has done. If you're here today thinking through, what is the Christian life about? How do I live? How do I get that prize? It's come to Jesus. He's run the race for you. In him is great rest. It's great hope and certainty. He has died in your place. He has faced the penalty that you and I deserve. He has risen again. He has beaten death. Who else do you know that has beaten death? He has won the prize of life eternal and he has offered that to you. Recognize the great rest that comes when we realize all we need to do is hold on to him. The one that has run for us. All we need to do is trust him. Hold on to him. So Paul says, run in life in such a way that you trust Jesus, that you live for him in everything that you do. That's what running is. So many of us run around after all sorts of different things. We chase pleasure or comfort or or security in so many different ways. And Paul likens it to someone who's not running the race full-heartedly. They're kind of just cruising along hopelessly or, or some boxer who's just boxing the air. I was considering whether to do this or not, but it just looks dumb. Right? Imagine someone boxing the air thinking that they're really in the fight. Right? You know, you've got this, come on! Like, I feel stupid. I was kept going, like, come on, I'll take you on! Let's smack people out! How stupid do I look? And Paul says, from God's point of view, if we are running for anything other than trusting Jesus, that's what it looks like. On the final day, that's what life is. What will you have to hold on to? You'll be buried in the ground and all the things that you've accumulated, the reputation that you've had, it's all gone to nothing. Writer of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, vapor, it's gone. Run the race to win, not like a boxer punching the air. If you have eyes to see it, if you see what God sees, you'll see trying to be good enough for God is fruitless. It's like a little kid trying to bench press 180 kilograms. It's not going to happen. And so some of us are tempted to use God then as an insurance policy. We kind of go, well, I I trust God, but I'm going to live my life like everyone else. I'm going to seek all the crowns that everyone else has that fade, but I'm going to use God as my insurance policy. And that's just as bad. That's just boxing the air again. We're not actually trusting Jesus that he's died in our place. We're not actually trusting him to be the Lord of our life. We seek things that don't last, reputation, career, status, money, beauty, health, intellect. Now, the Christian life is a life to be run 
with purpose. Look at verse 27. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul, he's no rookie. He's he's no airbox. He's a preacher of the Word of God. He's the man that took the news of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. If If you're not a Jew, Paul's your man. He's the man that has explained the truth of who Jesus is. He's this apostle sent from God. He's seen the risen Jesus. If anyone's going to run the race well, surely it's this guy giving instructions on how to run the race. But he lays out for us a warning. Don't be disqualified. Don't be disqualified. It's possible to run the life, the race of life in such a way that you get to the end and there is no prize because you're disqualified. You were chasing after the wrong things. You were running in a way that wasn't right. Lance Armstrong is possibly, has been one of the world's greatest cyclists. You probably know the story. Uh, Seven Tour de France wins. Uh, Just the guy's unbeatable. Um, I read his resting heart rate was 38. I'm not even sure if that's alive. Right? That's, that's, that's so, so low. Uh, this, this guy is an athlete. Phenomenal. Seven Tour de France wins and consecutive wins. 1999 to 2005. And then in 2012 to 14, he had every single one of his tour medals stripped from him when it was revealed he was using performance-enhancing drugs. Run the race to win, but don't be disqualified. Don't miss out on the rules of the game. Imagine coming before God on that final day Jesus comes back and saying, well, I trusted you. I did kind of run after other stuff too, but you know, I had you there. God, I believe in you. (laughs) And God's saying, I never knew you. You never trusted in my son. You didn't let Jesus rule your life. You thought you could be good enough. You set the rules to life. You didn't listen to me. Imagine eternity being set being disqualified, not from seven gold medals, who cares? (laughs) But from life forever. We don't just have to imagine it. Paul then outlines examples of exactly that throughout Israel's history. And as an amazing side point, if you hadn't already seen it, he says that these things in Israel's history that we saw in the kids' talk so helpfully that these things happen so that we might recognize who Jesus is, what He has done, and run the race to not be disqualified. How do we read the Old Testament today? Well, we read it to its original audience, but we read it also as an example to say, don't do this. Don't reject God. Don't be disqualified. (laughs) If anyone had the blessings of God, it was Israel, right? The cloud over them, protecting them in the day when they left out of Egypt. And, and the pillar of fire by night. If you're going to be confident, right, that's it, you know. He's my God, you know, try and come near me. There's a pillar of fire between me and everyone else. Like, that, that's got, you've got to be standing there going, man, I'm pretty sure of myself at this point. And then they're in the desert and God feeds them and they ate food and they drank water. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land. Like, you've got to be thinking at that moment, man, God loves me. God's for me. I'm in. Like, look what he's doing. The water parts. Does that ever happen to any of us? If it has, come chat with me later. That's pretty cool. And then Paul says, we're in the same position as them. Um, see how he applies this in verse 3 of chapter 10? They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. You're like, hang on a minute. They drank this kind of food, this water from a rock, and they ate this manna from, from heaven. 
But here Paul says they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What's he saying? All this that happened in the Old Testament, all these uh, things that God was doing were to point us forward to who Jesus is and what he is doing. It was God in the person of Jesus that was leading them, leading them to come and trust in God's word, who would be revealed in a person. As John says at the start of his gospel, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And the word came and made his dwelling amongst us. The whole Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the promises of God to Abraham were always pointing to Jesus. They always find their fulfillment in him. They had all God's blessings, these guys. Look at his people. Dry ground, pillar of fire. But God was not pleased with them. And this should scare us. Look at verse 5. God was not pleased with most of them. For they were struck down in the wilderness. That whole generation, as they came out through the Red Sea, died by two people. They weren't allowed to, to, to go in. Why? They were disqualified. They refused to trust in God's word. They doubted his goodness and they sought goodness outside of God. They looked to live life a different way than depending on the God who saved them, them trusting him who brought them out of Egypt on dry ground. They thought they had the assurance of God. They'd seen the signs. They had the bread. How often do we think we have the assurance of God? How often do we sit back on our laurels and go, yeah, we've got the prize because I go to church or I've read the Bible or, you know, I call myself a Christian. These guys walked through on dry land, the Red Sea. They followed their God, but they didn't care to obey him. Moses was up the mountain, hearing from God himself. He's gone 40 days, and what do they do? They take off their gold earrings, they give them to Aaron, and Aaron throws them in a fire, and oh, out came a calf. Then they worship this calf as if it were God. They'd just been saved by the true and living God, and they go and worship something they made from their own hands. They wanted to worship God on their terms. And how often do we do that? We want to say, oh, I know you've said this here, but I think I know the better way to live. I think I know the best way we should live in this century. We're more enlightened now. We've got more understanding about things. Really? We still do the same things. We still die the same way. We still hurt one another. Others of Israel, they live for pleasure. They ran their lives proudly for sex with whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted. You read through Numbers um, 25, verse 23 later. Check it out, 25, verse 23. We see that somewhere between 23 and 24,000 people died because they were sleeping around. This is not a dress rehearsal, God's saying. In this life, we think that, you know, it's fine. Everything will work out okay. We're just jogging along and cruising. Paul is saying, look to the example of Israel. They didn't take God seriously. They didn't run the race to win. They didn't run within the rules and they died on the spot. 23,000. What is God saying? Don't muck around with me. Don't think we will get away with it. Don't wander from the way of salvation I've provided you. I've given you the right way. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've given you my son in him. Put your trust. There's no salvation anywhere apart from Jesus, the only one who has run, run the race to win. And if those three weren't enough, we get the last example of people who just criticize God's provision. Have a look at Numbers 21. This is what went on there. 
The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you let us out from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them, so many Israelites died. These aren't just kids' bedtime stories, or even freaky kids' bedtime stories. This is real people interacting with the God who sustains the universe. And they happen as an example to us. They complained, and God said, that's enough. As I stand here, I, I am so thankful that God doesn't treat me as I deserve. The times I've sought my fulfillment in other things. The times I've, I've looked, and the times I do look, to complain about life and what hand it deals you. This passage has been so helpful to see things as they are. Serving anyone or anything other than God results in death. No prize. No lasting crown. So Paul says, learn from these examples. Prioritize your life around these things. Think about what you are doing. But then we see the faithfulness of our God. He isn't just some cruel dictator. Yes, he's just. Yes, his punishments are true. But Paul highlights the amazing faithfulness that he gives us. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 of uh, 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with a temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. The faithful God has provided a way out when we are tempted to think that we want to live for ourselves. He knows we can't run the race to win. But he promises that he'll never put us in a situation that is more than we can bear. That the situations he puts us in are for our good. Romans 8, all things work for the good of those who love him. It might not feel like it now, but he's saying, when you are tempted to give in to whatever um, immorality that is there, or attempted to find your, your fulfillment in something other than Jesus, look for the parachute. Look at the example Paul has given in his word. Keep in the word so that you might have things clear, so that when these things hit, you say no. Remember the snakes. Remember the people that died. Remember Israel, who had it all, who were saved on dry ground. They were disqualified because they didn't take God at his word. We have this great promise. And the challenge is not to think that we're special. Not to think that the particular struggle we face is more than everyone else's. It's bigger or somehow stronger. We all face it. It's common to humanity, he says. We all face temptation. It comes in all different flavors and sizes and shapes and challenges us in all different ways. And Satan throws all sorts of things at us to get us when we're down and when we're tired. (laughs) But we have this great promise to hold on to, don't we? He will not allow us to be tempted beyond anything we can bear. It's not possible for it to be too much. So when it feels too much, go, no, I can trust you and come to God. Don't try and run it on your own. Come to Him and trust Him. Say, no, I I will serve Him. This week for Sarah and I has been like one of the hardest weeks we've had in a long time. Uh, Sarah's had, kind of for the last year, um, Headaches that have been going on for her, 
And we've been trying to work out what that is. We thought it was some sinus issues. Uh, going to the doctor, they weren't that uh, kind of concerned. Uh, but this week they said, look, we want you to go and have a, a, a CT scan to check everything's okay. Uh, and they found that there's a small growth on the pituitary gland uh, in her brain. Uh, which means that, yeah, the outcome is it'll probably have to have either medication or operation uh, to take that out. It's not life-threatening uh, at the moment. It, it, it's something that's a bit scary, yes, uh, that they have to potentially operate through a nose and take this, this growth out. It's something that struck us, we weren't really kind of ready for. But we're not alone in that. Well, there are people in this church that, that are going through similar struggles in health, whether it be health issues or whether it be financial issues or relational issues. There's all sorts of temptations being thrown at us. And the temptation for us is to be consumed with fear or worry or doubt. And to see the things that are in front of us and go, wow, this is so big. But it's our response to these situations that matters. It's our response to these situations that others see around us and they help us to trust Him and serve Him with our life. This week, as we've heard that news and I've been reflecting on this passage, I found it so helpful. <laughs> the moment we attempted to think that God is not good, that He's left us, that He will not provide that salvation is found somehow in recovery or healing or any other means, is the moment we quit running the race. It's the moment that we look for hope and salvation outside of what we've been offered in Jesus. Paul was saying there is no salvation apart from what he has done. No crown besides that which he has offered. No comfort outside of the hope that comes with the gospel and no release from sickness or crying or pain promised in this life. It's not been promised at all. In the life to come, yes, life forever without sickness and mourning and crying or pain. A crown that doesn't perish or spoil or fade is held out for us. That is the hope we have. What God does promise us is this. He is faithful. And that with every temptation, He will provide a way out. Whether that's a temptation to doubt His goodness, or the temptation to seek fulfillment in all sorts of things, whether that be sex outside of marriage or money or material possessions or even just to complain about life. Every time God promises to faithfully provide an escape hatch, to come to Him and trust Him. What are we to do? How should we respond? Well, for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We'll run the race to win, to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus to see them hold that crown. How will we run? We want to be disciplined. Lest we slip into thinking that God doesn't care or that, he, that, that pleasure and health and prosperity are found in things apart from Him. Yeah, we grieve through the things that are hard in life. We hurt, we cry, yes. This world is not as it should be. It's broken, we are broken. But God has chosen to use broken and sinful and easy to tempt people like you and me to make His name known on this earth. To bring about the salvation of the world from people who just trust Him no matter what. So I want to ask you this morning, let's, let's join together as people who have seen the prize of Jesus. Let's not beat our fists in the air. Let's not wander around aimlessly. Let's not complain or seek hope or, or comfort outside of Jesus. Let's run the race to win doing all things to see our church and our friends and our family and our city trust in Jesus. In the end, that's what matters. 
holding on to Jesus' crown to the end. And ask yourself right now, whatever situation you're in, whatever temptation raises its ugly head, and it will come from left, right, and center, and it will keep coming, we need to ask ourselves, what will make me most useful for the kingdom of God? What will make me most useful for the kingdom of God? What will stir my zeal for God the most? How might I respond to what He's doing and recognize the pain or the temptation, but serve Him so others see that He's what I live for? What will grow my passion and love for God and love for others the most? What will deepen my hunger for His Word, that bread of life that sustains us? What will fan into flames my passion for holiness? and living for God. They are the questions that matter. No matter what life throws at us, Paul says, run the race to win. To win that which Christ has already won for us. A crown that does not perish or spoil or fade. That is our purpose. That is what we are to do. So why don't you pray with me now that we might hear this warning, that we might run in a way that doesn't disqualify us, but find our hope and our joy and our privilege in serving the God who has saved us. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for you have given us so much. In your Son, you have provided life that lasts forever. We want to pray that in all circumstances of life, in whatever comes up, we would recognize you, your goodness, your love, And that we would see that you promise to use all things for the good of those who love you. Help us to say no to temptation. Whatever that is, however we might seek it, show us. Help us to be a church that cares for one another and is able to walk alongside one another and lovingly point that out. Father, we pray that through your word and through the example of Israel, we might see the incredible generosity you've shown us in Jesus. And at the same time, the incredible warning. That outside Him, there is no salvation. There is no life. There is nothing that lasts. We pray, Lord, that this day we might put You at the center of our lives.